What is GDPR? And more importantly, how does it impact you and your company? Join internationally known data privacy, data protection expert, Jonathan Armstrong and Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist to learn more about the burgeoning world of data privacy and data protection. After listening to this episode, you'll walk away with a greater understanding of what this means for you and your organization. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox and Jonathan Armstrong back for another episode. And today we are going to go under the radar because we're going to take a look at one of the most interesting under the radar uh, GDPR enforcement actions that uh, I have heard about. It involves a Belgian regulator uh, of the called the Belgian Data Protection Authority, and their fine of 50,000 euros for noncompliance with a data protection officer is required by GDPR. So, Jonathan, first of all, uh, welcome, and can you give us a check-in? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks very much for uh, having me. And yeah, I think it's an interesting case as well. The actual fine isn't huge. It's about 50,000 euros, so about 54, 55,000 US dollars. But the fine in some respects is insignificant. And it's what the, uh, what the data protection authority is asking the company to do in addition, which is, I think, where the rubber will hit the road here. Now, under GDPR, there are some requirements for the appointment of a data protection officer. In most multinational corporations, a data protection officer will be mandatory. In some cases, a data protection officer isn't required, but is good practice. And there are, as I've said, rules on who a DPO can be. A DPO should be should have the ear of the senior management uh, in the organization, but they should also be uh, well-resourced, they should be knowledgeable about data protection issues, and they shouldn't have a conflict with any other role they fulfill for the business. And it's the latter point that this case was really about. It follows a data reach notification by an as-yet-unnamed organization to the Belgium DPO, and there was then an inve- uh, DPA, and there was then an investigation by the Data Protection Authority, which included looking at the position of the DPO. And it's a fairly detailed and in-depth assessment, and it seems to have been quite a heavily disputed matter between the DPA and the organization involved. And they said effectively that the DPO had a conflict because... The DPO was also the director of the separate compliance, risk management, and audit departments. And what the DPA said, that that meant they uh, hadn't ensured that the DPO had no conflicts of interest. They said that the DPO could not independently supervise those three departments, and the coming together, if you like, of these functions would lead to insufficient guarantees of secrecy and confidentiality towards employees. And obviously, we've seen some conflicts, if you like, between compliance obligations and data protection responsibilities in the past, notably in the area of uh, annual ethics certifications and particularly in 
in in helplines where there have been a number of statements over the last 10, 15 years or so from data protection authorities expressing their concern. And as a result, in this case, the DPA fined uh, 50,000 euros, as we've said, but they also gave the organization concerned a guillotine to amend their practices by July 31st, so three months from the date of the original decision. So I think it is a significant case. Did you just say the Belgian authority gave the company the guillotine? The guillotine. So do you not have the phrase? A cut-off date. That's a very severe penalty under my... uh... (laughs) Yeah, well, they were very annoyed about it. (laughs) Robespierre lives. Okay. Um, well, let me let me stop you there because there were some some interesting ports that that actually troubled me a little bit that I wanted to maybe go into, and really the first one was that the um, Belgian DPA, the the Data Protection Authority itself, said the infringement was the result of quote serious negligence in quote, and I can certainly understand uh, a company misinterpreting rules and regulations. I can understand a company um, less charitably wanting to, to cut corners, but I just don't see this as seriously negligent, uh, particularly when you have uh, the DPL function kind of centered within what's generally viewed as a, a compliance function within an organization. So did you think that language was warranted? Yeah, I was somewhat surprised about that, I think. I think I think many organizations, I mean, some obviously are cavalier and they appoint, uh, you know, uh, I, I, <laughs> I once, suge- I once uh, spoke at an event and somebody said, who do businesses appoint as a DPA, a DPO most frequently? And I said, um, yeah, the, the, the biggest correlation is that the DPO is often the person who doesn't turn up to the kickoff meeting. Um, but uh, sort of joking aside, I think that there's no, for many organizations, I think they do think about structure carefully. And I think for many of them, the compliance team have been, in their mind, a logical choice for where the DPO will sit, partly because there's some uh crossover between other parts of compliance, partly because the chief compliance officer is obviously somebody who people generally listen to, and partly because of inherent conflicts in other departments. So I think if you go back 10 years or so, a DPO was frequently somebody who sat in the IT team when um, you know, when when data protection law focused more on electronic data rather than electronic plus hard copy data. And I think that we've had German judgments in uh, in um, in Bavaria, for example, that have suggested that that was the wrong approach. And so I think many organizations have, uh, you know, not been negligent. They've gone through a thought process and worked out where they've got somebody with seniority knowledge and independence and you need all 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 three of those and it's hard really to work out 
where might be our better fit for the DPO as a result. You know, all organizations are different, but HR is unlikely to be a good choice in many organizations because of the way in which they handle data. We've already heard, as I've said from previous cases, that the IT team, the information security team, might not be good choices as a result. And for many organizations, if they're sales-led, particularly if they're business-to-consumer, then sales and marketing probably aren't the right choice either. So looking at somebody with uh, sufficient seniority who doesn't touch any of those departments is challenging. And I guess for most organizations, they're then left with two other choices. One is to have a full-time DPO who does that and nothing else. The difficulty there is that these people are quite hard to find. Obviously, there hasn't been the culture of having data protection officers in many multinational organizations. And as a result, a lot of the DPOs that exist come from the public sector, and they might not understand the private sector as well as we might think. And then the second option might be to recruit an external uh, data protection officer. But we've had a number of clients where that's caused substantial difficulties, in part because obviously a part-time DPO doesn't get to know the organization that well. They might not have the level of respect within the organization that somebody internal with gravitas would attach. And equally, this issue about uh, reporting and having the ear of a senior management in the organization can be harder for an outside contractor. And again, quality is an issue there. Many of the organizations that say that they will run an external DPO uh, service for you know $10 uh, a month or whatever they charge uh, are not... Um, you know, even that $10 a month is a waste of time. And I can equally see many DPAs getting more annoyed about a DPO that isn't properly resourced, that is, if you like, a, a skeleton DPO who's there in name only and not fulfilling the duties that GDPR requires of them. So I think it's a challenging decision. And I think the path forward is also challenging for many organizations. I suspect what they're going to have to do is almost look with their counsel at, at an org chart, so see who reports where, look at, uh, at how that position can be developed within that organizational structure, or think of separating reporting lines or looking at some levels of matrix responsibility for different parts of the role. And then the critical thing, which we've helped a lot of clients uh, with, is proper terms of reference for that DPO. So setting out exactly what the roles and responsibilities of the DPO are, how they'll raise concerns, who they will raise them with, et cetera, et cetera, to try and ensure almost by contract that level of autonomy for the role to protect uh, the organization and to protect the DPO. Compliance profession, Jonathan, uh, has over the past 10 to 15 years really moved to try to converge different types of compliance 
requirements. So obviously there's anti-bribery, anti-corruption, there's anti-money laundering, there's export control, there's trade sanctions, uh, there's financial crimes, there's environmental. The, the list is, is fairly uh, lengthy. And I see this decision as actually delinking or dislinking a DPO from um, a more robust compliance function, uh, which I, I would see the danger of actually siloing that DPO uh, in a place that he he or she might not be uh, as effective. Any real thoughts around that? I think that's a legitimate concern. I think that we'll have to, um, I, I think in some respects, we have to almost divorce the theory from the operational. And as I've said, I think many compliance teams might be able to continue as the DPO, but they're going to have to look at terms of reference. They might also have to look uh, in, in a more concrete way, data protection impact assessments for things like helpline operations, for things like uh, annual ethics restatements, etc., just to make it clear that those um, conflicts uh, don't exist. But there is still going to be that risk, as you describe, of sort of almost segregating out different compliance functions and undoing all the good work that many corporations have done to stitch together different aspects of compliance into one uh, independent in most cases, but, but you know, properly resourced unit to try and look at compliance across the enterprise. And you're right, it would be unfortunate if this decision led to a sort of splitting off of responsibilities, particularly if it led by accident to more junior people becoming data protection officers, because that's clearly a critical role going forward. One of the clear themes we've had in this podcast series and you have had for many uh, years in this area is competence and expertise. And leaving aside whether if you can spell GDPR, that makes you an expert, um, is does this decision also reemphasize the need for true data protection expertise in a DPO, or is that something that you really don't see from this decision? No, I think that's right as well. I think that often I think if you – I mean, it, it looks here um, – we don't know the full details, but it looks here as if the um, DPA has met with or interviewed the DPO – and oftentimes, of course, if the DPO is confident and competent and acknowledges that there's a potential conflict but can talk through how they've avoided that conflict, then then we might not have so many issues. I, I think the, the problem that we're seeing uh, a, a little bit of at the moment is that some organizations uh, think that the DPO training is a sort of once done, forever forgotten type process. As we've discussed on these podcasts, there are an awful lot of cases coming out now. Um, you know, we we have a monthly call with some clients where we look through developments. We're running out of time to do them in an hour now, and we're being quite choosy as to which we talk about and which we don't. So if you're a DPO, you've got to find some way of keeping up to date 
with data protection are. You can't say, oh, yeah, I did some trading two and a half years ago. I'm still good to go. You need to keep yourself up to date with developments. And that's going to involve at least uh, you know, a monthly firm look at what's changed in that month. And it's going to need you to review, I don't know, 10, 15 decisions a month. And, and, and I think some DPOs aren't resourced to do that. Either they don't have the ability to look at those cases or to decide which is serious and which isn't, or they just don't have the time with the day-to-day job to fit that in if they're doing uh, other things as well. But I think we're going to see increasingly data protection authorities look at the quality of data protection officers. And at the end of the day, if that DPO is responsible for uh, a potential fine of 4% of turnover, then they, you know, most organizations would staff that level of risk appropriately. You know, if you said, oh, we're about to lose a contract with a customer and that's 4% of revenue, most organizations, if it were a board meeting, would say, well, we need the sales director to handle that personally then. They would allocate somebody with that level of responsibility. And data protection responsibilities are the same. Organizations just have to appoint somebody with the right level of responsibility and the right resources to do, to do the job. So that really was the third prong of what we typically see in the requirements of a of a chief compliance officer. We talked about the authority. Uh, we talked about the expertise and the resources, uh, both in terms of uh, headcount, a dollar resources for the department. But the other uh, dialogue we have in the United States is: is there a respect for that authority in the form of a salary? Meaning, does mm-hmm. the chief compliance officer have a salary commensurate with where the regulators think the importance of compliance should be in an organization. Would, is, is that a takeaway you would take away from this enforcement action? And if not, could that be something you would see the regulators might make an inquiry into? I think that is a good point. I've not heard of it yet, but that might just be a matter of time. I think often it's hard to establish how senior somebody is in an organization just from an org chart. Uh, and it might be appropriate for some uh, DPOs to, to look at you know, that dollar number. And, and I think it's going to be particular concern if you've outsourced the DPO service and you've, out, you know, you've run that tender on the basis of who will do the job for the lowest possible book. I think that some organizations are going to struggle uh, with that as a result. And I think good DPOs do cost a lot of money, particularly a good DPO after a data breach. So it'll be very interesting to see who this organization recruits if that's the route they go down, because uh, they've only got, what, six weeks to recruit somebody who's undoubtedly going to walk into uh, a, uh, a situation where I'd imagine that the DPA is going to look forensically at who the new person is, how their roles and responsibilities are segregated off from the uh, existing compliance team, and as you rightly say, how competent they are and what they're getting paid. 
Jonathan, what's the precedential value of this decision across uh, the EU and, and now into the United Kingdom after Brexit? Well, I've seen some um, <coughs> alert from some coincidentally provider of outsourced DPO services who seems to uh, imply that uh, you have to outsource now and you can't be legally compliant unless you do. I think that's an overstatement. But I think that many uh, data protection authorities will look at this uh, judgment seriously, particularly because, as we've said, it doesn't just seem to be uh, off-the-cuff remarks. It seems to be something that the uh, Belgium regulator has thought about, and it seems to be something that's the result of, uh, of quite a serious investigation. Now, of course, what's uh, happening now at an EU level is that the, there's an effort to consolidate decisions like this more uh, amongst the um, uh, the uh, the group of regulators uh, uh, across the EU. Obviously, the European Data Protection Supervisor, who's running that. Um, exercise, if you like, the secretary to the European Data Protection Board is also based in Brussels. So I think we can expect this um, judgment to be talked about at an EDPB level. And I think we can expect it to be followed by many DPAs across um, uh, across the uh, European Union. And of course, it's also important to say that the uh, that the Belgium authority specifically referenced some EU guidance that had been issued on uh, data protection uh, officers. So they're effectively saying that, um, that they are also looking for a consolidated approach across the EU. And as a result, they've used the EU consolidated documents as the foundation for this judgment. So I think as a result, it's not binding precedent on uh, DPOs in any other country, but I think most of them will probably echo that approach. And as we said before, we've had a similar approach previously in, in Bavaria, for example. Jonathan, this really has been a fascinating exploration of a case that I think has uh, completely flown under the radar in the United States uh, and uh, perhaps uh, in the United Kingdom and the rest of the EU as well. We're going to link to the quarterly uh, compliance uh, client alert uh, on this case, and I would encourage everyone to uh, read it. I uh, look forward to seeing what we come up with next. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. We're going to link to the quarterly compliance client alert uh, that explores these topics in a little more in depth in our show notes, so check that out. Also, uh, check out uh, the quarterly website for a great number of resources around GDPR. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. During this corona health crisis, please be safe, stay safe, and stay sanitary. We look forward to visiting with you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.